plague, maybe. Some kind of sickness. But that would take hours. You wouldn't all be like this. Not all at the same time. Must be asleep. No wounds. Not a sign of blood. Wake up. Wake up. Go on. Wake up, go ahead. You aren't dead. None of you are dead. Wake up, Yanks! None of you are dead! We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And uh, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed um, our prolonged absence while the sun was beating down and melting all of your, your paintings and your loved ones. Yeah. Well, I know I enjoyed our break, so. <laughs> That's true. Um, I maybe, maybe I should uh, front sell us a little bit by saying that the episode we're talking about uh, Tonight, uh, Still Valley, season th- three, episode eleven. The number one, so- no, sorry, number one film for the air date was Blue Hawaii. The, the Elvis oh, film. look at that! There you go. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you made it back safely. I am jealous that you got to go to uh, a Hawaii that was not blue, um, and I'm glad that you guys got to enjoy your honeymoon. Yeah, I'm happy. It was uh, it was kind of nerve wracking flying into a tropical storm, but uh, everything ended up being perfect. It was amazing. Uh, minus some wildfires, but you know what? It didn't stop me on my hunt for Hawaiian Eye, and uh, <laughs> I, I was unsuccessful. I, I got, uh, the only I, yeah. place that I saw with any DVDs or Blu-rays uh, was Walmart, <laughs> so I didn't even bother looking. Yeah, I, I, like uh, I was telling you before we started recording, I got your postcard yesterday. Uh, a couple of days after you came back, and it said, "P.S. I cannot find Hawaiian Eye." So I, I, I like that you were there actively trying to search for the show. But you you came up fruitless. But I'm going to guess that you still had a good time, regardless of not finding that show. Yes, I did. I drank uh, all the rum on the island. So <laughs> I'm feeling great this week. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we get into the episode proper here, I do want to mention uh, we're recording this within hours of finding out that um, that Burt Reynolds has passed away. Um, it's important just because aside from the fact that it's Burt Reynolds and, you know, it's the bandit. Yeah. He was in an episode of Twilight Zone that we've not gotten to. It's actually the last episode of season four called the Bard. And I know we'll talk about it more there. It's just that this is one of those ones that like it, it's, you know, it, it doesn't destroy my world, but it doesn't make me happy. And it makes the day just sadder knowing that he's gone. Yeah. He's one of those people that like, you forget that they can die. You know, he's, <laughs> right? just, he's just so legendary. It's like Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Like sometimes I forget that one day Clint Eastwood's going to die or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's just sometimes you just forget because they're so iconic, you know, and yeah. Smokey and the Bandit was like one of my favorite movies for a long time. I, I love Smokey and the Bandit. I probably watched that movie like a hundred times. And if I um, remember, it was the second highest grossing movie that year behind Star Wars. So just think about that. Like it's just, but Burt Reynolds is kind of like, even though, you know, obviously he got older, like I think he was 86 when he passed away. Like there's this, there's this, this moment of like that when you think of Burt Reynolds, you always think of him in like his peak, you know? And it's just, you're, he's, he's kind of immortal, even though I know today he's, he's very much mortal, but you can't, you can't shake that image of Burt Reynolds from your head, you know? So it's just, I, you know, I know he had his ups and downs as a person and as a performer, but the the world's worse off with his passing. And I just wanted to mention that because he was part of the Twilight Zone. Yes. Uh, what what would be one movie you'd recommend to people outside of like Smoking the Bandit and Cannibal Run that oh, maybe somebody should go check out? You know, it's just Bookie Nights. I know I know that there was a lot of trouble behind the scenes with him and Paul uh, Paul Anderson, the director, but. 
he his part was important and uh you know not what you were expecting from him at that time and i i think that's that's a movie that i i think if people haven't seen in a long time they should go back and revisit yeah and i i would recommend uh maybe white lightning and gator two 70s action movies that uh really fun some good old uh, moonshine running and that kind of stuff um but you know everyone thinks of smoking the bandit but white lightning and gator are awesome so i figure something off the beaten path if you're gonna go back and look and um honor the man definitely go check out some other films as well yeah absolutely so uh anyway uh, that's uh, some sad some sad news uh, but of course we're talking about a, a show that has been you know off the air for what 50 years now so of course there's going to be moments like this where you know people aren't going to be around all the time and it's yeah. just, a, just a bummer well, that it happens to be the same day so yeah most of the people we talk about are dead so i don't <laughs> know if that makes you feel better or not but fair enough so um yeah what you're telling me none of these actors are still alive from what we're talking about here uh so yeah anyway uh this episode like said, season three episode 11 still valley air date May 24th, 1961, number one film, Blue Hawaii, like I said. Number one song, Big Bad John by Jimmy Dean, still. Um, so, I born on this day, I, I made a note for myself to bring this up. Uh, it was a person named Robin Still, and I, I paid, put a note in here saying, look up Wikipedia page. So, I'm going to go look them up again here. Um, there, I guess something important happened, and I forgot. So, <laughs> uh, where is it at here? Um, Robin Still. I don't yeah. even know. I'm going to go back to what I was. So May 24th. Uh, <laughs> good, good on me to not have that in my notes. It must have been a lot of information. Um, all right. There was something important here, I promise you. And my, my Googling skills are terrible. So May 1961, February 24th. Let's go down here. Was it an animal-related incident? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what, so I had something here important, so and I lost it completely. So I don't know who Robin still was, but I put it in my notes to look it up, and I and I go back to the Wikipedia and I don't see them. So it's not important. Wouldn't it be November twenty fourth? Um. Okay. Here we go. Robin still November twenty fourth. Yeah. Why did I write down May Slumber Party Massacre? That's right. Yes, that's what I wanted to bring. Was born on this day. So very random. All right. <laughs> so, and I I wrote down the wrong date, and I wanted to bring up because she was in these like B horror movies. That's why I wanted to bring that up. So, I wrote down the wrong air date. So it is actually uh, not May twenty fourth, nineteen sixty one. It was uh, November twenty fourth, nineteen sixty one. Good on me to not type it right. So yeah. yeah. Well, she was in a bunch of good stuff. She was in Slumber Party Massacre, uh, Sorority Babes, and the Slimeball Bolorama, <laughs> which is some uh, terrible fun stuff. American Ninja Four: The Annihilation. Uh, hard to die from 1990 that's a sleazy good time so yeah robin See, still there I, you go. <laughs> I knew you would bring up the rear and, and support why i wrote this down but i don't know why i wrote down the wrong air date so that's on me but thank you for for re- reminding me why i wanted to bring it up so yeah robin still in a lot of uh movies that um yeah probably not high art but uh certainly i'm sure many people have seen I've seen them all. So. <laughs> I think I own her entire disco- her filmography, oh, so yeah. just didn't recognize the name. There you go. So that she was born the same day. So there you go. That that's your that's that's your day and date that I wrote wrong. So anyway, let's get to cast and crew. All right. So this episode was directed by James Sheldon, who we recently discussed in It's a Good Life. Um, if you want to hear us talk about his career, you can go all the way back to the whole truth. And uh, I think he's got a few more episodes coming up in this season, maybe next season. So yeah, he has one uh, more. We'll, yeah, I think like two or three more. So we'll be talking about James Sheldon again. Uh, teleplay by Rod Serling. It was based on a short story by Manly Wade Wellman called uh, "The Valley Was Still," as opposed to the Still Valley that this <laughs> is. Um, he was a, a, a author who was born in West Africa and ended up moving to the United States, um, eventually found his way down into the South, got really caught up in some folklore and like Southern Gothic folklore and everything. So, um, a lot of his stuff incorporated some of that, some of that feel, Mm -hmm. and you can definitely see it coming into this episode. And I guess 
while he was living in Africa, his mother was American. His father was British. And I guess he had an uncle who fought in the Civil War. And he kind of had an obsession with it. So he has a few stories that take place around this era. Um, But one thing when I, I, because I wasn't too familiar with him. Were you before this? No, not at all. Yeah, he seems pretty prolific. Like, he's got a ton of stuff. It was mostly all in, like, the sci-fi and pulp magazines and everything. Uh, Like, most of the sci-fi authors that we've talked about started out. But he had this series with this reoccurring character named John Thunstone, um, who was a... (laughs) I, I have to read on the Wikipedia page how they describe him. It's amazing. Thunstone is a scholar and a playboy who investigates mysterious supernatural natural events. He is physically large and strong, intelligent, handsome, and wealthy. He is also well-read in occult matters and has access to several weapons that are especially potent against vampires, werewolves, and other supernatural creatures. So he has like a sword cane with a silver blade on the end and everything. And, uh, he he's able to fight the devil with it because it's inscribed with the text from like uh, a certain part in the Bible and everything. It's it's all this like crazy stuff that was written in like the 1940s. And I've been trying to hunt down a collection of them. One of the collections goes for like two hundred dollars. <laughs> um, I found one on eBay, which I won't say the price that I'm currently watching right now because I need to get these stories. Um, and then there's a paperback that's going for like 150 bucks. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the process now of hunting down the entire John Thunstone collection. (laughs) I like the idea that like, we're going to post this like tomorrow and you're just like, anybody listening, Baron or not outbid me. Like I like like that you're, I'm just warning you guys (laughs) stay away from my John Thunstone collection. Don't touch the Thunstone. Yeah. That's uh yeah, that sounds awesome. It's not, but it also sounds like this guy has no like known weaknesses, you know, like, but which I guess, yeah. you know, they're, they're, like there's heroes at that time where it's like, you know, like his only weakness is his humility, hum- humility you know, like, so that's what it feels like this guy can yeah. do everything. So that, that, no, that's cool. I didn't even know. Sounds that, fun. Like, yeah. And he was friends with a lot of people when he was living down south that were really well versed in that kind of gothic folklore and some of the occult legends of the American South. Um, so he actually put a lot of stuff that was true to what the old folklore was in mm. these stories. Um, you can't tell from what they did to the story in the twilight zone because <laughs> none of the occult stuff in this, uh, rings true, but I was unable to, to hunt down the Valley was still in short story form. So I, I can't tell you how much better it was in the story. I, I I read something in passing about that um, there was there was a beheading of a character in the short story that clearly did not happen and then the the TV episode so sounds like it was a little bit more uh, graphic and, and blunt than than what we got so which I mean not that we necessarily needed that but this episode needed something so I don't know I don't know what they pulled from it and <laughs> no, I pun, know no pun intended the, <laughs> I know that the book did not. Uh have a certain word across the front of it in the short story. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to jump too far ahead yeah, here. Right. So yeah, no, that's cool. I, I did not like, it's just one of those things that like there's, there's creative types out there that have like, that have a dearth of work that may not be as well known as the people that we know. And yeah, I, I had no knowledge of that. That's cool. Uh, yeah. He just, he never had as much stuff uh, adapted into like film or TV uh, I think there was one episode of that show, Monsters. Okay, yeah. Uh, that was based on one of his stories. Uh, Lights Out had a had an episode based on one of his stories. And I think there was one full length Legend of Hillbilly Jim. I think it was <laughs> was the, like the only film ever based on his work. That's that's so, the origin of the wrestler for the WWF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, like this is his most well known piece that's ever okay. been adapted on the screen. So. Um, it just it's one of those things. It was like it, it was like me discovering how much I love Charles Beaumont. It's a name you don't have to dig that deep into classic sci-fi literature to find it, but it's not a well-known name. It's not a household name like Richard Matheson is. It's not a household name like uh um like Rod Serling is, you know, mm-hmm. with the Twilight Zone and his writing on this. But um 
but you dig a little bit deeper, you find these amazing authors out yeah, there that just like have basically an unlimited amount of work. Like I'll probably never get through all of his short stories or Beaumont's, you know, but nobody knows who they are. <laughs> it's crazy. No, no. And, and, and like, it's cool. Like I said, that you did a little digging and you're going to shine a light. So, and hopefully you win that, that bid. So that would be, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah. it's like suddenly we're at the, like seeking out like patreon supporters for the show just to support your your need to, to pay off like it's going to be like i don't know the prices but you're gonna have to be like listen i have to pay this off monthly just to get this this collection of short stories so yeah <laughs> it's important it's for the show guys if it you is. want to donate uh please reach out <laughs> i'll give you my paypal directly um no i'm just kidding i will pay for it with my own money <laughs> well yeah, maybe. So, uh, maybe. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into uh, let's get into the cast here. So we have uh, Gary Merrill plays Sergeant Joseph Paradine. This was his only Twilight Zone episode. Um, wasn't really familiar with too much of his work. He was in a movie called All About Eve from uh, 1950, mm-hmm. I believe it was, uh, with Betty Davis, and he eventually ended up marrying her later on after they both got divorces. <laughs> Yeah, all I had from him because I was like, I, I noticed that, but he was also the voice of Batman in the Superman radio series. So yeah, he, I meant to write yeah. that down. I found that like way after, and uh, as soon as I read that, like with his gravelly voice in this, it was perfect. Yeah, like absolutely. maybe that was the voice that uh, Christian Bale, uh, Christian Bale heard. <laughs> it was like perfect. Yes, I that's yeah, just gonna right. do my best Gary, uh, Gary Merrill yeah. impression yeah. for this movie. What's he say? Wake up now! What's he say? something like that? We play at the beginning of the episode, like you, yeah. <laughs> he's yelling at all the soldiers. Yes, I like it. So you're yeah, not the, dead. <laughs> you're just sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> go now. You know, so, um, but yeah, like, clearly a lot of work. But I just I thought it was it was one of those things. I'm like, oh, he was he was a Batman, like just you know in passing, but he was a Batman. So we gotta gotta mention it. So then we have Mark Tapscott, who plays the lieutenant, very briefly in this episode. Uh, not much on him either. This was his only Twilight Zone episode, and he was actually in one episode of Hawaiian Eye. Oh, I didn't even write that down. I'm usually pretty good about that. Like he, I did note that his last role was in Highway to Heaven, which seems appropriate. So that's why I wanted to write that down. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if that's that's cute or depressing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then we have uh, Jack Mann who plays Mallory, uh, who I believe is the one, um, the one guy that comes back from the one attack later mm-hmm. on in the episode, I think so. but don't quote me on that. Um, this was his only twilight zone appearance. I wasn't really familiar with anything else he did. Yep. That's all I got. Oh. All right. Then we have, uh, Ben Cooper who plays, uh, Dugger Do- dogger dogger. Okay. Uh, he was actually in some stuff uh, you would know. Johnny Guitar, which you just watched for a year of the Western last year. Uh, support for your local gunfighter and a few other uh, decent Westerns. And this was his only Twilight Zone. But you, you got to mention, in Johnny Guitar, he played Turkey Ralston. So they kept calling him Turkey the entire time in the film, which... <laughs> Even then, probably felt weird, but just be like, "Oh, there goes Turkey," you know. Like, and it was funny because, like, I, I I thought I recognized him, and then I went back through, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, he was enjoying a guitar." So, yeah, as Turkey, like, what kind of nickname is Turkey, by the way? Yeah, but, I don't know. He kind of looks like a turkey. <laughs> and this one, he's more of a chicken than he is a turkey. Yeah. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and then lastly, I'll mention because the last credited person we have Addison Myers who plays uh, the Sentry, and. This was only Twilight Zone, so yeah, that's so, it. But we we skipped over Von Taylor, who was Teague. Uh, oh my God, how did I do that? Well, because you were excited to talk about Mark Tap- Tapscott. Uh, yeah, I guess. Second, no, I, I, it's because I had uh, one note for him. So <laughs> uh, second of five uh, Twilight Zone appearances, I guess he was in Time Enough at Last. Don't know. Must have been. He one. was uh, Mister Carsville, the the, the bank, I believe, the yeah, bank manager. There you go. Yeah, uh, he was also in an episode of Hawaiian Eyes, so that's I wrote that down. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't think we were on the Hawaiian Eye hunt back in uh, the first season that no. early. So I, I had to make sure we mentioned it now. So, yeah, uh, if you're, since Teague is actually, you know, kind of a major player in the second half of the episode, I figured it'd be worthy of mentioning. But, yeah, that's that's all we got. Yeah. God, I can't believe it's <laughs> Vaughn Taylor. It's the most arguably the most important part of this episode. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, 
But yeah, if you want to go hear us talk about Von Taylor, definitely go back and listen to the uh, Time Enough at Last episode way back in the beginning of season. I'm sure we had an expansive and wonderful conversation about his work at that point. So yeah, please go back, go back and fact check me on that. So yeah, Um, but I heard he uh, I heard he worked on Star Wars with uh, Jerry Goldsmith. (laughs) (sighs) I'm never gonna let that go. Probably. I mean, I don't. I don't know. You know, that's probably true. I probably said that back then as well. So that was probably right. So, yeah, that's your cast. Um, we have a Batman I'm, and some Hawaiian eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. <laughs> I like if anybody ever expects me to get anything right, because clearly I didn't even get the air date right. Why did I write down May as opposed to November? I don't know. Who knows? I don't know where I came up with that number at. So I call the whole production into question from this point forward. <laughs> All right, so let's let uh, Rod take it away, and we'll get into this really long, complicated episode. The time is 1863, the place the state of Virginia. The event is a mass bloodletting known as the Civil War, a tragic moment in time when a nation was split into two fragments, each fragment deeming itself a nation. This is Joseph Paradis, Confederate cavalry, as he heads down toward a small town in the middle of a valley. But very shortly, Joseph Paradine will make contact with the enemy. He will also make contact with an outpost not found on a military map, an outpost called the Twilight Zone. I don't know. I don't think I'd report to the outpost called the Twilight Zone. Seems kind of suspicious to me. Yeah, that music really reminds me of something. I cannot figure it out. Yeah, I mean, the music in this isn't bad. Um, So... But this this is one of the Sterling intros that was broken up. Like he did a little bit, and then there was more action, and then him talking about parody. And so, um, yeah, I guess we should just get into kind of what was going on here. Um, so you have Paradine and Dogger. They're the two men on a mission. They're sent by the Confederate Army to go check out this town that's in a valley because they know that the Union Army is supposed to be showing up soon, and they need to get a head count. Um, and Dogger is kind of of the mindset of like, you know what? I've seen war. I'm not a fan of it. How about we just leave? Um, and I kind of sympathize, but he is kind of a warmy little son of a gun. Like the, from the the first few minutes that you see him. Yeah. It's just that mustache. <laughs> that's yeah, all it that, is. That's fair. But he was like, he said, what was he, he was at the second Manassas. I think he's what he said. And he yeah. saw like war and he thought this was all kind of like a game to begin with. And he does. And he said that his, his prerogative now is basically to stay alive and um and and parodying's like, but we're tasked with getting it like you know getting an actual count of what's going on, and 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 Dogger's like, well, well let's just say that we saw them and let's just leave, and then parodying just slaps him like hard. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's like, why don't we go down there and just wave the flag? Oh yeah, let's surrender. Flag. Yeah, let's just surrender yeah, let's just surrender, yeah. and he just slaps him. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, so while they're while they're scouting this town, they hear the sound of horses and marching coming into the town, and uh, they're watching from up above. And all of a sudden, the sound stops. Yeah. So, um, Paradine decides he's going to go down, take a closer look to figure it out. And uh, he tells him, "If I'm not back in 15 minutes, just report back to the camp and uh, just forget about me. Like I'm, I'm done." So he goes down there, he's sneaking around for a bit. He finally sees the Union soldiers, or the Yanks as they call them, um, and everybody is just frozen in time. Like everyone's just frozen where they are in line marching. Yeah, mid-action. And I just want to yeah. mention that when he's talking about looking into the town, it is a very clear still image of a town. Like they keep cutting back to it. I, I made the, the, the my note here, like still Valley, more like still image, which yeah. I feel like that's what the town should have been called. But then, yeah, like he I goes, just, they, they didn't even need to show it. No, to be honest, didn't. like they, it, there was no reason. Like we had the sound in the background. <laughs> we understood that they were up above looking at a town. Yeah. Like it just, it took away from the episode cause it, it looked terrible. It did. Um, but so everyone's yeah. frozen in time except for their eyelids. Apparently, um, you don't know that until later, by the way, like, yeah but i mean Um, it's still it would be it would be a very haunting image if we didn't already see something similar and better from season one with elegy yeah well i like he almost calls attention to elegy because he's trying to figure out what's going on and he keeps he keeps bringing the idea like that maybe they're dead yeah and uh it kind of plays off seeing as elegy has come before this like maybe 
that would be your first instinct because you've seen an episode like this. So you're like, oh, they're it's probably like elegy. They're dead. Um, but he's like, well, maybe they're sleeping. Maybe it's a sickness. So he ends up he's still walking around. He finds a supply wagon. He's he's happy about that because it can feed his whole uh, his whole uh, regimen. So he's uh, he sits down and he's eating some and a potted plant falls off of a windowsill mm-hmm. at a nearby house. And he goes over there. He's like, ah, it must have been the wind. And as he's standing there, you see a hand start reaching out the window. Which that cuts to a commercial break. And I, and I, was, I made a note here. I'm like, I'm glad that the hand stayed there for the entire commercial break. Because uh, it cuts back to the hand immediately right after like the act break, right? Whatever you call it. And it's like, it's, it's creepy and it raises questions. But then when you know what's going on after, I'm like, it seems very unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he forces whoever's in, in the house outside. It's this old man uh, who goes by the name Teague. And he there's there's a lot of dialogue in this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just almost unnecessary. And um, he, he reveals that he used basically a spell book to stop the Yankees where they stood. Well, he's a witch man. Is what he describes yeah. Well, he as. gets to that. He's like, <laughs> he's the seventh son of a seventh of whatever, you know, he gives this whole backstory of why he's a, he's a witch man. And he's got this witchcraft book, which is uh, bluntly labeled witchcraft, <laughs> witchcraft on the front cover, but not just what it's like. It's like definitely a sixties type of font. Like that. They like something kind of out there. Like, I don't know how to describe, but it's like, if, if like um, if there was a Price is Right game called Witchcraft, this would be the font that you would use or like a scratch-off ticket, like the Ohio Lottery was having. Oh, my God. You know, but that's what, I, that's what it feels like, though. It's just like, you know, it doesn't take witchcraft to match three of a kind and win $25,000, scratch and win. That's what the font looks like to me, you know? <laughs> like, But this is on a book in, like, you know, the 1800s, but whatever. Anyway, I mean, I get it, and it's it's so fast. And they, you see it again later, but I'm just like, th- this is this is how you decorate this book that's supposed to be super heavy, but that's maybe maybe two inches thick. Yeah, well, and it cracks me up because it's such a heavy subject for this episode, <laughs> and it's just like this goofy prop right in the middle of it. <laughs> and you can tell that whoever it was, they just took that stencil or whatever and just spray painted it on the book and they were done with it. That's what it felt I like mean, to me. Who knows? Maybe they pulled that out of uh, storage or something on one of the studio back lots. Maybe, um, maybe they were like, you know, on uh, Bewitched, they're like, we need your witchcraft book. It's like, here, you can borrow this for a second. You know, we know that you've had Samantha Stevens and Darren, you know, Darren on here. It's fine. Just use the book. It's fine. It but, looks like something that would have been in like uh, in like Devil Rides Out or one of those Hammer films from like the seventies, it just like been on. Uh, whoever is researching the occult would have been up on the wall behind him or something. Like something <laughs> like so over the top. Like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It looks like something like that. Yeah. Um, it definitely does not fit in this episode, but it, whatever. It's it's kind of fun, I guess. I, I just like the idea that Teague had probably other books that were labeled different things and be like, well, no, this is my witchcraft book, and then th- this one's my I, cooking book. I have one. <laughs> yeah. I have only one witchcraft book. Don't yeah. touch it. But it's not even that yes. thick. It's like how much magic is in that book? That's what I'm saying. Like it's like it's like I took like, you know, if I just printed out a bunch of spells online and just like, you know, just shoved them into whatever this is, like this uh shell of a trapper keeper, you know, like it just was not it wasn't a very hearty tome of magic. That's the that yes. the John Thunstone book is like four <laughs> times bigger than this. If the book, if the title of the, the thing he was holding said Thunstone, I've been like, that had been way more believable than something that just said witchcraft. But yeah, anyway, I know it was a prop and it got its point across. And it was fine, but it didn't seem, it didn't seem, no pun intended, to carry the weight that it should have for what it was. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, find somewhere I found the name that was on the short story, or I, in the short story, the name that was on the book. But I feel like I'm never gonna find it. it well, I mean, if if you take time, ah, here it goes. Okay, you found it way faster he, than I found that thing earlier in the episode. So congratulations. Teague's book uh, had the title "John George Homan's Powwows or Long Lost Friend." You know what? Witchcraft's a way better title for that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But I I feel like <laughs> what if it was a called? lot of his. 
<laughs> what if it was called Spells and Such? What if that would have been a way better book? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like, none of the magic or anything in this. Like, I'm talking up how much uh, <laughs> uh, Manly Wade well, uh, Wellman, like, how much he was into this whole, like, Southern Gothic thing and all the uh, occult stuff and how much he got right. And then in this episode... He literally just says like witch man and witchcraft and spells and such. And it's just, it's ridiculous. It's like, Hey Kevin, I'm going to go down to the local spells and such and grab a six pack and some, you know, and some, uh, incantations. Do you need anything? You know, that's just, just a conjuring please. Just a conjuring. Just a, just well, a that's conjuring stuff. Yeah. Cause, uh, so to prove that he actually froze these people, he freezes, um, um, What's Par- the name? Uh, Paradine. Paradine, yeah. So he freezes them and he, he he's because Paradine's not really letting him talk. And he's like, I'm just going to silence you with a spell. So you have to listen to me. Um, so once he releases him, Paradine's just kind of like, what is that? Hypnotism? Um, he's like, no, it's it's conjure stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that he was just a witch man that lived down by the river. Like he just pointed out like he was like basically like, you know, he was just that hermit that lived down by the way. And he happened to have all this power. Like, yeah. it's like, if you've had this power your entire life, then I don't, I mean, maybe that's all you wanted, but I feel like you probably could have done more for yourself than leading yeah, up to it, what was going on. And it seems like he had some sort of heritage bringing him into this. Yeah. And what happens right after this makes no sense in that, mm-hmm. in that case. So he basically says he could do this to the whole union army if he wanted. And Paradine's basically asking him, why don't you like, just do it. <laughs> And he's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to die before the sun goes down. I can I can feel it. It's going to happen. And he tells him he's going to leave the book to him so he can do it. So he gives this whole thing that he's like the seventh son of the seventh son or whatever it was in the beginning and that he's been doing this his whole life. But he just gives him the book. He's like, well, here you go. You can do it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's seven times seven and, and whatever, right? Like, um seven times what was the thing that the lady said encounter with the unknown i mean this is real magic we're talking about here <laughs> you know uh, the heptagon or whatever it was like this is what the this is getting some real shit going on but my my question though is if if, if he has this power and knows that he's going to die before the sunset why does he need to hand it off to you know this guy like he could just be like well i'm just going to do this as my last my last screw you to the north you know, they just, I, I get that we're overthinking this and that the point of the episode isn't his ability. It's, um, you know, it's the decision that's now put upon uh, Paradigm. You know, like that's his whole, you know, that's the crux of this whole thing. But it's like, if you have this power to do it, then why not just do it? That just feels very um, complicated for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, it was listen to you well to my word. One by land, two by sky. <laughs> Which of the heptagon for it is there? Seven times around go the three of you, and may your reward be just and true. I All still right, feel sorry. like that is way more important than what he was saying to freeze the the northern army. Like so, yeah. Credit credit to that 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 lady at the funeral at the counters with the unknown. She seemed much more a witch man than this witch man did. <laughs> Yeah, so he he gives him the book and uh, immediately Paradigm's like something feels wrong. Something feels it feels like this might be uh, selling my soul or being in league with. And he's like, yes, the devil. He's like, you'll be in league with the devil. And um, so he he leaves with the book even after he <laughs> he says that something feels wrong. He decides to take it and he returns to the camp. Well, because um, Teague dies after saying, yeah, it's just like the devil. Yeah. The devil, the devil. And then he just dies right there on the stoop and that's it. Like he's out. Like, so he was right about him dying soon. He just didn't realize it was well before the sun would go down. But yeah, yeah. It, like I like that Paradine's like, well, I guess I'm just grabbing this book and leaving. Like there, there's no further talk, but yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please finish this amazing episode. Well, I was just hoping there was going to be some sort of race with the sun going down or something Yeah, to like figure out how to, transfer the spell or something before he passed away and the spell was broken and the soldiers came to life and killed him or something. You mean some type I was of stakes? really hoping for some yeah. sort of race with the yeah. sun, but uh, that didn't happen. He returns to camp. 
and he immediately goes up to the station lieutenant and he's he just flat out tells him what he saw yeah and that he uh that he all the soldiers were frozen and everything and he tells him he's trying to prove it and he's like i read a spell and uh i froze some more uh, some more union soldiers that one of our other regiments were going towards and uh they should be coming back and they should have won by now. And the sergeant comes back and basically confirms his story. And um, so he tells him, like, now that everyone believes him, he's like, we can freeze the entire Union Army. We can freeze uh, and walk basically right into the White House. Robert E. Lee can just walk right in. And um, so he goes to freeze him. And he stops halfway and the spell calls for him to revoke the name of God. And that he can't do it. He can't do it. And um, what was the other character's uh, name? Dogger. All yeah. The, yeah. yeah. It, he's he's like, we need to just do it. And he's taking the book from <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, which seems crazy. I guess it was kind of setting up at the beginning. He just wanted the war to be over. Yeah, he wanted. So to go this home, was yeah. the quickest way to end it. <laughs> but he seems so aggressive out of nowhere <laughs> he when does. he seemed like such a passive uh, character in the beginning. Yeah, no, like he was, he was kind of like anxious and scared to begin with, and then whenever uh, Paradigm shows up later, it's like you're, you're like, you know, he also seems kind of anxious. But then there's like that moment of just like, oh, we could just say this these words. Let me rephrase: you can say these words, and the world will be over. Like it's almost like he views it like, oh no, 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 you'll give your soul up to the devil, but I can go home. Like that's what it felt yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, he just grabs the book from him and. Um, and then there's this weird moment of like, because uh, 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 Parad- Paradine was like, or Paradine, no, whatever, Batman uh, was like, you know, he, he tells the lieutenant, he was like, we we don't have resources, we don't have the men, we're losing this war, and you know, and maybe this is what we got to do, but then he kind of flips back back on it, saying, you know, um, he says, what was it, um, uh, yeah, we we call the Union uh, Army damn Yankees. Yanks. Yeah. But if we, if we read this, it'll be the Confederacy that's damned. He's like, I don't know much about Satan, but this cause of ours is dying right in front of us. And then he's like, if this cause is to be buried, then let it be put into the hallowed ground, you know, of of slavery. <laughs> you know, but whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> it is kind of weird. Uh, but I mean, there's still this moment of like, if we believe our cause is so just, then we cannot use witchcraft, you know, uh, whatever font you put on the book. We cannot use this to win the war. And so they take the book and they just throw it in the fire, you know, and that, that's, and like, I was watching this the first time I watched this. I'm just like, wow, this, like this episode just keep, kind of keeps going. Like, are, are we at the end? And then it suddenly just stops like the episode, yeah. like there's no, there's no moment to like pause and think it's like they throw it in the fire and then Sterling drops the ending like amazingly, like fast. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, uh Oh, this is kind of shining confederacy in like a good light it makes him look kind of noble yeah but then immediately serling comes in with the closing narration and punishes them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which it's just my mind was so this whole episode just felt so off through all these twists at the end yeah um so you find out that this this uh group of soldiers is now heading north <laughs> to a little battle called gettysburg like immediately right after so yep, the next day the next day yeah and they're all killed. So they had their moment of being able to turn the tide. And then um, Gettysburg is the, is the most northern advancement of the Southern Army. And that actually was the turning point in the Civil War in which the North actually started pushing back and then invading in and then crushing the Southern cause. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, on very on the nose, but it's it's literally the point in which they they finally, they 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 tried as hard as they could and they could not win. And then the North just, just came in and, and collapsed everything from that point forward. So Sterling yeah. obviously was like, and then they went to Gaysburg and we all know what happened. See, I just think it's funny because we've had two civil war episodes this season with the pastors by yeah. earlier on in season three. And that one ends with a really on the nose historical reference with having Abe Lincoln walk by. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like, it, so far we have not been able to get like a, like a, I, I guess that both of these episodes aren't terrible, but a solid ending with them. Yeah. That one's just like, oh, and here's Abe Lincoln, like whatever, <laughs> you know, and this one's like, oh, and they went to Gettysburg. It was like <laughs> there was no deeper understanding of the Civil War other than like just like 
Abe Lincoln, Gettysburg, and Antietam. Like there it is. That's the Civil War. But, but even it's, then, it's with strange, both both episodes don't paint the South in a an unhonorable light, which is a weird. Like I'm not saying that I, I am not saying that Sterling had like you know Southern sympathies, but it's like he he tried to portray both as both sides of a conflict, right? And it was like this weird thing of just like. Oh, well, you know, we believe in our cause and we're honorable men. So we're not going to use this, 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 I win button like to, to win the war. And we're going to just roll our dice and, and hope that Gettysburg goes in our favor. And it, it's just this, like there, there's never the shadow of your cause is suspect. And the, and, well, I, I guess maybe even a little bit earlier, paradigm even says like, what I do know is that, you know, I, I like, you know, there, there's men with lives in the line and I need to, I have exact numbers. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really believe in the cause, but he believes that his actions could cause the unneeded death of others. So there, there is that, like, you don't really feel that he believes in like the Southern cause, but he believes in like being a decent person and making sure that people shouldn't die when they have, when they don't need to. But there, there's still a weird, like, there's still a weird sympathy through both episodes, and I, I don't understand why. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just it made me feel weird until Serling <laughs> came in and said they all died the next day. I was like, all, all right, I guess that's good. I don't I don't know. Well, there, there's that rewriting. <laughs> there, there's that rewriting, and I'm not saying that Serling is, is, the, is the one responsible for this because there's not. He's not because— Well, and he didn't uh, write this. Either, no, no, he so. did not. You're right. But it's but he did write The Passers By, right? So Yeah. Um, yeah there is this thing that had happened in the thirties and forties. Um, that was like the, the, the sons and daughters and, and grand grandsons and grand you know daughters of the, the, the South, they all got together and started putting up the monuments, right. To, to remember. Yeah. And they started changing the narrative. So I don't know if, it was just one of those things where even at this time when this was aired in the sixties where, and this is on the cusp of the civil rights thing all happening, which is amazing to me that this story was going on where the South was still painted in a kind of like, you know, morally correct position, I guess, because they never question their cause. They just say that, you know, we, we, we think the North are damn Yankees and we, we can't fall to their level is basically why they decide to burn the book is because they feel that they're not on the same level as the North. Like they feel yeah. like they're higher than that. I it just, it's a weird, like I, 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 you know, I, and this is me not painting Sterling in any type of light of, of being unsympathetic to any cause because we, we just came off of death's head revisited, um, you know, and I know we have a couple episodes like we did, um, the big tall wish, uh, which had, you know, an all African-American cast. And then there's the, um, there's an episode later that has another all African-American cast. Like he was aware of the social situation. It just makes me wonder what the common knowledge and acceptance was of the civil war and its purpose at its time in 1960. You know, yeah. it's, it's, a, I, I overthink this. I, I know. And I, I apologize to anybody listening because I've really, well, it, really it's hard know, not to, yeah. especially in the climate we're in right now. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to watch this and not get an icky feeling <laughs> well, that, and <laughs> near like, at the end when they're painted in this morally correct right? light. Well, it, it's impossible to not get a weird feeling out of this episode. And, and I grew up, uh, I grew up in West Virginia, which that, that state seceded from Virginia in 1863, the top northern 55 counties left the rest of Virginia, and they were out because of their disagreement with what was going on with the Civil War. So I grew up in a state of of mixed identity, you know? So it's like one of those things where, like, we were born of the Civil War, and there is are these tendencies to believe that we're northern, but then I go home, and I see all these tendencies to believe that they're southern, and it's a weird, I'm always in this weird space of two worlds in the sense that like, I know my history and I know my heritage. I don't agree with a lot of it because I mean, you know, honestly, you know, I feel like owning people is a bad idea. You call me what you call me. Shocking out. Yeah. statement. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my state wouldn't exist without the conscious decision to leave that, you know, it's like, it's a weird. So I'm always, I'm always kind of torn when thinking about the civil war, not torn between two worlds, but, uh, but the sense of identity, you know, like, yeah. yeah it's so it, it, I don't know. Like, I guess I just have more of a, anytime the civil war shows up in an episode, I'm, and I hopefully it doesn't show up again. Cause I'm kind of, kind of done with it. 
you know, in terms yeah, of the Twilight Zone. Especially with these two episodes. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty done with them, too. Right. And it's just, I just, and I, and honestly, have you, have you and I, maybe I mentioned this during the passersby, have you seen the Ken Burns Civil War documentary? I have not. Yeah, we, we talked about yeah. it on that one. It's, it's like 7,000 hours long, but it's amazing. And, and I think it's worth checking out, especially when we talk about Gettysburg and about how it was pivotal and the turning point. It's like, it's, um, it, and again, a hundred plus years passed and it's unfortunate that a lot of this is still relevant. And so watching this where honorable men with an honorable cause, they choose not to use the witchcraft book. It, it just, it, you're right. It does make you feel icky. That is the right word to describe the end of this episode. Yep. I mean, not the very end because they do get punished, but, <laughs> well, like, but yeah, but the last like five minutes. Yeah. yeah. But they get punished for, 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 uh, not doing the bad thing. I don't know. Like, I don't know how it's framed at the end where it's like, and then they go off to Gettysburg and it all worked out. Like it just feels, it feels very hand waving. And, but again, I don't mind. I don't mind historically like historical pieces that are kind of like, you know, supernatural and, and, um, I just, it, it, it's, I, I kind of love that. Yeah, I do to too. To be like, honest, we, like I, I love when you miss mix, uh, historical and kind of set it in. I, I mean, look at like, uh, something like Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Yeah probably my favorite out of his films um i mean that's set in historical context but it's a completely fictionalized version like i love that kind of stuff and then mix supernatural stuff into it like i don't know if you've ever seen the burrowers it's like a western mixed with almost uh tremors (laughs) (laughs) uh but it's all set within some sort of historical context and everything i I love it we were just talking before we started recording about the witch and that feels like that's one of those things that kind of exists it's way before this but you know it is early early american settlement dealing with like some messed up things and yeah like i feel like that that there's there's the opportunity for some really great and interesting storytelling there yeah which unfortunately, this one did not peak <laughs> no, for me. No, in the um, same way, like something like the witch did. But. No, like I feel like the conversation about this episode is way better than the episode. And I, I again, um, it takes too long to get where it's going. Uh, the soldiers frozen in place. Unfortunately, because we had seen it and in, in, in a much better context two seasons. Yeah, previous. I, elegy is incredible. Yeah, um, so seeing this for the second time. And I, I think there are three more episodes coming up before we get through this whole series of people frozen in time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And so also there are five <laughs> episodes with people frozen. In time. I just can't believe how many times this is going to come back. Well, uh, and, and, and unfortunately this wasn't handled as well from a uh, director standpoint, because like with elegy, it worked because of wide shots and the camera was kind of moving at times. So when the people were standing still, like you couldn't necessarily see all their movements. And there are moments when, whenever the main characters walking through the ranks and you see these guys trying to hold these positions and it's not working. And, yeah. it, and it's like, you can't fault the, um, the intention, but since it was handled much better, like uh, earlier, like that, that's a bummer. Um, and then, then the whole cheat of, I want you to blink your right eye. If you understand what's going on, it's like you, if, if the whole thing is they're frozen in place, then why? Like, unless I guess the witch man can tell you to move your right eye. It's fine. But I felt like that was a bit of a cheat. Um, it, th- there's this, these, these moments that, that, that once you start thinking about it, the thing kind of falls apart and it's, it's yeah, unfortunate. Like I said, the yeah. fact like he's this trained witch man or, you know, whatever. <laughs> You want to say, and then he's like, but you can do it. Here you go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then how does he do a spell, but then can't do a spell again? Yeah. That's the whole thing. He's like, I like read the spell and I aimed it towards that Ridge. And it's like, but did you revoke the name of God at that point? Or did you just be like, I revoke the name of a lesser God, like Jerry or whatever, before we get to, <laughs> you know, before we get to the God, you know, that feels, that feels like a little, a little bit of a cheat there as well. But I mean, yeah, it, I don't know. Like, this this episode could have been something, and it, it, it's by no means the worst thing we've seen. It's not. It's just kind of there, and that's the only way I can really. That's I don't know. Like I don't really want to come back to it, but there's it, there's nothing glaringly wrong with it. It just doesn't do much, which is kind of funny because no one moves mid midway through the episode. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's really all I got for it. I don't, I don't know. It, the episode just made me feel kind of off <laughs> and not really happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so it's funny because I was, I was trying to take notes, like going through the, the books I have there, there really isn't much about the episode. Surprise, surprise. Two things. One, Cliff Robertson was supposed to be the lead in this, which that would have been interesting just because we saw him in a uh, hundred yards over the rim. Oh yeah, um, that would yeah he, he would have been good. That, yeah. that would have been fairly similar. I just hope he would have wore the, the top hat the entire time. That'd have been amazing. Um, though I, I actually really like uh, uh, Gary Merrill in this. Like he's not bad. No, he's he's perfectly fine in this. You know, he, he's perfect for. And I wish, I wish there was. I, I don't know. I guess I don't want more of him arguing that it's not witchcraft or something. I'm trying to find some way around it, but he's a good straight man yeah. for this type of thing where like the other guy seems a little bit weaker. So the stronger guy goes down there and ends up getting caught in uh, up in this and you wouldn't expect him to get caught up in this whole thing. Yeah. You don't, you don't, so, you don't send Turkey into the Valley. You just let him to sit yeah. with the horses. Right. <laughs> no, but I think Cliff Robertson would have been, I think knowing what we know about his uh, effort to find the character at a hundred yards over the rim, it makes me wonder how much of a deep dive he would have done for this character. Like, like not that this episode would have been better, like served with him in it, but I think he would have been an interesting choice. I I really wonder where he would have took, taken the character, but yeah, the the lead's fine in this. Um, Other thing I found out too, that there was like three or four things that, so there's something that Sterling does when he finishes like a script or, or it's a script submitted, um, to CBS, they send it to off. The, there's like a, um, a think tank of people that actually fact check everything. Like think about it, like primitive Google back in like the sixties. And they always come back with like, um, some, some facts and figures that may not be correct. And they always give a list of suggested changes for things. Um, so they gave him a number of different things to change about the script. And he did a little bit, but when you, when you specifically mention that the main character tells Teague that it's hypnotism, This group of people said that hypnotism wasn't a known word and phrase used back then. They suggested mesmerism, and then Sterling just ignored it. (laughs) So I like that because he's like, it's one of those things where like it doesn't affect the story. But I like that they're like maybe use mesmerism and like so. um, There there was a number of things that they and then when they at one point whenever Teague says uh, Bobby Lee could take them into Washington with three men, Sterling originally wrote Washington D.C. but. Washington was not incorporated like that at the time. So they changed that like small things. Like, so basically he got, he got the story beats right, but like the details were a little off and he changed most of it except for hypnotism. And I think that no one cares about that, you know? So I thought that was, if that is your strongest notes about an episode, then no one really cared to revisit it, which is unfortunate. So that kind of, kind of sums up the episode in the whole, like, eh, it was fine. It just wasn't great. Yeah. I, I had never seen it before. I'll probably probably <laughs> never watch it again. So I guess yeah. take that review as, as of what, it, what is. it is. Right. So yeah. Uh, still Valley, not much happening. That's what you should <laughs> <do>. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's all I have for, for notes proper, uh, for, for the episode. I don't know if you have much more to add. Uh, probably not. I'm going to guess probably not. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. So let's, let's just, you know, as we do, let's just read the twist. Oh, God. Um, that the South would not use the book as they felt their cause was righteous. I put two question mark. It feel it feels kind of like yeah. a Southern kind of like we're, we're, you know what? We're better than them. Like we're, we're going to, we, our cause is just that, that feels very much in line with everything I know about the civil war. So that's why I gave it a two is that they were too, um, self-absorbed with the righteous cause to use the book labeled witchcraft, uh, to end the war. Now, and now what do you give it? If you mix in the fact that they died the next day and get his book. Um, since, since I know that's how history worked out a one, because you know, <laughs> Like, cause Gettysburg happened and then, uh, general Sherman was like, screw this. I'm going to yeah. burn everything on my way to the way to the shore. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Like it's just like one of those things where it's like, you don't have anything else. This is your last option. Maybe you should consider it, but they did not. So two going on one. I don't know. That's really not a good twist rating. Yeah. I, 
man, I'm I'm conflicted right now. It's I, I'm I'm between a two and a one as well. But I like but, the, I, but like, I like I went I, two and then I backed off to a one. I've never really went. Maybe I've went downward before, but I feel like this is the first. Yeah. Um. Man, I I don't even know. I <laughs> I'll just give it a two. Sure. This sucks. This, <laughs> this episode's not great. No, it's not. Uh, and it's it's. I don't know if it's going to. It's not going to end up on my bottom of the season. Like I, which no, like, I'm. I probably won't even remember what it is. I'm. I'm gonna be going back like through and be like, still Valley. What was that episode? So like, and then I'll remember John Thunstone when my like eight hundred dollar book lands in my front porch. And <laughs> I feel like, like, oh yeah, it was that one. I feel like John Thunstone is like a, a Flintstones name that didn't quite make it. Like it should have been like Thunderstone or something. I feel like there was like it's almost all the way there, but not quite. But. But yeah, we're, we're 11 episodes in the season three. I think there's 37 or 39 episodes. So we're, you know, we've, we've seen a fourth of the episodes. And I honestly, I really, and I, I think about this as we're watching them, where I would place things. I don't even know if I have a top five or bottom five yet. You know, it, it's kind of like, even based upon these 11, I don't know if I'd even really like shuffle off all of them. I mean, maybe a good, it's a good life. And we'll talk about that you know, when we get to the end of the season. But nothing's really been hitting me as like the absolute worst or the absolute best so far. Yeah, yeah. I definitely have like a top three so far. I could put. I mean, two was good, good you know, because there was chicken involved in you know, Charles Bronson. Yeah, but. <laughs> but I don't know. I just feel like this one. It's like I. I just I feel like um, so far season one we had you and I were pretty on pretty much on the same page, and then season two we were off from each other kind of a bit. And then I feel like I have no idea where we're going to land. We have a long way to go, but I'm really curious. And I feel like this one, we're probably never going to, we're never going to even mention it. And other than, (laughs) other than the statement of, yeah, it was okay. Forgettable. I feel like that's where we're going to end up in a few months. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's it. That's all we got for uh, still Valley. So uh, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Strange Highways Podcast. Uh, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com if you want to leave us voicemails or just regular email on there. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Satchel, pretty much anywhere you can find Facebook or find podcasts. We are there. Um, and then it would definitely help us out if you guys would rate and review us on iTunes specifically. So. Yeah, absolutely. Other so, than that, I think that's I think that's everything. Yeah. So next episode, the jungle. Um, all right, I'll go ahead and do my best here to not trip over uh, the wonderful Mister Sterling's words. Uh, next week on the Twilight Zone, we once again borrow the talents of Mister Charles Beaumont, who's written a script especially for us called The Jungle. Now this is designed for the reasonably impressionable amongst you who find nothing to laugh about when someone mentions the words black magic. Mr. John Denner stars in another small excursion into the darker regions of the imagination. Next week, the jungle. And I'm just going to spoil this right now. Mr. John Denner was the gentleman in the lonely that said robot. So I was really excited to see him again in the twilight zone. Unfortunately, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a robots in this. No, there's no robots. So, but yeah, like I kept watching, I, I, I'll spoil this. I watched this previously. I was like, that guy looks familiar. And I looked it up. I'm like, he said robot. So I was really excited for him to be back in the twilight zone. So <laughs> uh, next week you've got Charles Beaumont, witchcraft robots. Not really. Um, yeah. I, I, I cannot wait to talk about this episode and I don't think Kevin has seen this yet. So I could not wait to get his thoughts about this next week. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This, this sounds like a winner for me. So. Yeah. So, all right. Um, yeah. So until, until next week, everybody be safe. Um, I guess, you know, if, if you have a book of witchcraft, maybe put a better font on it and make it a little bit more substantial. I don't know. I, I got nothing <laughs> there. I just, it, if you're going to make a menacing book that could put people by the millions asleep, just bind it better and put better artwork on the front of it. Yeah. I, I don't know what I learned from this episode. It was basically, <laughs> if you get a chance to, uh, uh, be in league with the devil, I guess, take it. Cause you might die the next day. Yeah. So right? you know, <laughs> I don't when, know. when the devil offers you opportunity, you know, just say yes. I feel. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's what I learned from this, which <laughs> yeah, probably not good. So yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs>
That's who we'll have fighting on our side. The devil. The devil. The devil. The devil. <laughs> 